0: Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And this week's episode is with Alyssa Kalarek. Alyssa just ran a huge PR at Berlin and why I was so excited to have her on the show is, well, two reasons. I love comeback stories, and I love stories of athletes who, in their training or race strategy or some aspect of their athletic life, kind of go against conventional wisdom and find a path that works for them and ultimately leads to success. And that's exactly what Alyssa did in her run-up to Berlin After basically two a year and a half, two years of working really, really hard, but not quite having the success that she was hoping for or the success that she thought merited the the time and effort she was putting into the sport. And the the two just didn't match. And then she made a a change and it certainly took off from there. So I'm so excited for you to hear this episode with Alyssa. But before we get into it, I also want to say... Big ups to our sponsors, Megaton Coffee and TuneUp CBD. I love those two companies. I use them every day. I drink uh, Megaton Coffee in the morning, and I use TuneUp CBD as well, both the salve and the oil. So thank you so much for sponsoring this episode and so many episodes of the Rambling Runner podcast. If you haven't checked them out, please do so. You'll hear the the, uh, promo codes uh, during the ad reads later in the episode, and they are also in the show notes. So in the meantime, here's my conversation. With Alyssa. Hello, Alyssa, and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: It's my pleasure. You and I have been shooting each other notes for a while, and it's been so fun following you not only as a runner but just as a, as an interesting person, individual. And I'm so excited to have you on the show today, in part because. Boy, you have had a remarkable marathoning year in terms of some of the highs and lows, and you just came off the Berlin Marathon, where you absolutely crushed it. So, first of all, congratulations.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm very excited to talk to you, too. And it's nice to talk, actually, in person as opposed to via DM.
0: (laughs) Yes, exactly. That's for sure. So. I guess first things first. And I think I, like so many people, love comeback stories. And before we touch on what happened at Berlin, because it really was a huge achievement on so many levels, I think it's it's nice to talk about kind of where you were before then and really talk about um, Boston and what kind of like what preceded your Boston experience and what happened there. Because I think it really lays the groundwork for what you've done in Berlin. So I guess first things first as you were getting prepared for Boston, what was your marathoning experience and what were, and how was your training going heading into that race?
1: Yeah. So Boston, um, I was running very high mileage weeks for Boston and in my head, you know, it was, I thought I had to run 80 mile weeks to run what I wanted to run at Boston. And, uh, it, my marathon experience before Boston, I had run five marathons. uh my goal is to finish all of the world majors, so I had done Chicago and Chicago didn't go that well um and I had done New York and New York went amazing i New York is still one of my favorite races um but yeah, so in the build up to boston i I felt pretty good. I was running pretty high mileage and then I got injured um at a race. I think 3 weeks before it, my calf just I don't know what happened, but it just cramped up really bad and then it just never stopped cramping, I think. So, I had to switch a lot of my training before Boston to be on the elliptical and um I missed out on some of that mileage before the race and it just it was kind of a mental thing for me, like I felt like, you know, I'm not running enough, it's not going to go well and um kind of carried that in I think to the race where I kind of fell completely apart by mile 11. And you
0: mentioned that you had these, um, you basically felt the need to go really high mileage, you know, touching the eighties, which is a huge deal. Even for professional runners, that's a lot of miles or I guess it's pretty typical for a professional runner, but you're not a professional runner. You have a full-time job. You got, you know, you got some kids, you got a lot of stuff going on in your life. So, running 80 miles is a huge deal and a major investment. So why did you, why did you think that you need to do that? And what were some of the goals you were trying to reach where you felt like those were the mileages you needed to touch?
1: Yeah. So my goal, um, my overarching goal is to go sub three in the marathon. And I have a half marathon of PR PR from a couple years ago of 127, but that, so I guess I kind of have to back up a little bit too for all of this to make any sense. Um, so I ran my first half marathon in 2015. I started running in 2015. And at my first half marathon, I broke my hip at mile 12 and a half. Um, so <laughs> I ended up having to have surgery and I didn't run for like six months. And I was like, I, you know, how how am I going to keep – doing this, if I'm going to break every time. And so after that surgery, I took six months off and then I started running like 10 Ks and five Ks and stuff like that. And then I went back and ran that same half marathon where I broke my hip and ran it again the next year and obviously didn't break my hip. So after that, I started running half marathons and ended up with a PR of 127. And then I decided to train for a full. And when I started training for my first full, I tore my labrum in my left hip and needed surgery again. And this was in 2017. So instead of getting to run my first full that I had signed up for, I had surgery. Like, the day after the race, and my friend won the race. Actually, so that was that was a little rough. But around that same time, I found out I had gotten into New York. Um, so I told my surgeon. Let's just, let's just I, touch
0: on that first. Let's just touch on that marathon yeah. for a second. I think that's like the most extreme like FOMO I've ever heard. Like first marathon, oh about to do it, can't wait to do it. Injury best friend wins it. Like, obviously you're happy for your friend, but it's like, Oh my goodness. Like what could have been?
1: Yeah, I know. I know. Like it was someone I had trained with and all of that. And I was so, so happy for her, but then it was just like, all right, well, I can't even run right now. So that's fun.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we're all, we're all human, right? It's hard not to Especially when it's like so in your face like that. Again, like all respect and like kudos to your friend who won a marathon. Like that's unbelievable. I'm just saying, like it's so like none of us are you know are like a Buddha walking Earth of like you know not being able to like have those feelings of like oh if only I could have made this work or why did I get injured or just just those those myriad of feelings that we all have in those moments.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I'm not saying like obviously it would have been my first marathon and I'm not saying that I would have run the time that she ran, but it would have been nice to at least be there.
0: Yeah, for sure. All right, so as, so as you were saying, you you then kind of got into New York?
1: Yeah, yeah. So um I had used my 127 half marathon PR to apply for New York and I got into New York. And then I found out about my injury and that I needed surgery. So I had surgery on April 10th of 2017. And then um, basically just (laughs) the CEO of the company I work for makes fun of me because I used to crutch around the parking lot. Like I was on crutches for six weeks and I was like, I need to do something. So I like kept myself active by going for crutch walks at lunchtime. (laughs) Um, So he says, that's how I trained for the New York marathon, which it isn't, but um so yeah I had that surgery and then everything was just getting me back into running to run New York at that time. Um so yeah I uh, was able to run New York um I ran a 323 at New York and qualified for Boston and that was like my dream. Like I wanted to qualify for Boston. It was such a big deal and I was so excited especially after having surgery. Um but then kind of after that Um, my marathoning experiences weren't so great. Um, I, uh, after New York, I trained for a spring marathon and I ended up DNFing at mile 11. Uh, it just didn't, didn't feel good. Um, and it just wasn't the right day. Uh, so I dropped out at mile 11 and then, um, after that, I kind of kicked myself a little bit and then I, uh, Had signed up for another marathon three weeks later because I was like, I I trained, you know, I have this fitness, I know I can run a marathon. And I ended up PRing by like four minutes at that one. But then um, my summer training didn't go so well for Chicago that following fall. Um, I just never really felt good in that training cycle. I never really hit paces. It was really humid in Ohio. And I don't know what was going on with me, but it just didn't go great. And I went to Chicago and it didn't didn't go very well. I and I can't I can't dismiss like I ran a 326 at Chicago. That's not terrible, but it wasn't what I wanted. Like I had wanted my around three hours time and it just didn't happen.
0: So let's talk about the training there because obviously, you know, race times are significant and they're, they're, you know, unless something, you know, catastrophic happens, you know, they're usually fairly indicative of where you are in that day, not just from a fitness perspective, but like, you know, with there's weather factors and other factors as well. But you say like the training wasn't going well. Was, were you able to identify some of the reasons for that? Or was it just a matter of like you felt like you had like, reached a new level of, as a runner and your your training wasn't matching up to that level. Like, I guess what I mean is, was it objectively not going well or was it more of a subjective comparison game that you felt like you just weren't reaching certain paces that you felt like you needed to reach or should reach?
1: I was running slower than ever. Like I just, I never felt like I could hit anything close to marathon pace at all. And it was again, like the, I felt like I needed to run high mileage. So it was those 80 mile weeks and they just weren't agreeing with me. And I was trying to force it. And that's not a good thing to do. Like it just, (laughs) none of it really felt good. I, I had a, it was a 22 miler, that I was supposed to do that I went out on and I just, I got to like mile 15 and, and I was running with my friend and I'm like, you just need to go ahead of me. Like, I just, I don't even think I can finish this. And it just, I don't know, nothing ever really clicked. And I got to Chicago and didn't, didn't feel good and kind of went out on hopes and dreams, <laughs> like thinking, all right, well, maybe it'll feel good during the race. And it didn't. <laughs> So let's
0: talk about how you got to this high mileage point, because you you mentioned before that you really started running in 2015 Mm -hmm. and you got up to a pretty high mileage pretty quickly. So prior to 2015, were you really active in other ways or what what kind of laid the groundwork for you to even get to that kind of mileage so quickly?
1: Yeah, not really. Um, So... Before I started running in 2015, I basically was just doing Jillian Michaels videos in my basement. And I, um, I ran into a friend who uh, at a wedding that was going to run a half marathon. And I thought, well, I can, I can do that. You know, I, I work out for like an hour or so a day and a half marathons a little bit longer than that. But I can, I can run a half marathon. And that was when I signed up for my first one. So it, it, I wasn't really doing much before that.
0: And when you're doing these 80-mile weeks, I know you don't, you're don't. you not currently doing them, and I can't wait to talk to you about that as well. But when you were going through this period of time, what did that look like in terms of, like, miles per day, like, long runs versus easy days? And, like, were you taking, like, um, off days? Like, how, how were you segmenting your days and your weeks to reach that level?
1: Yeah, so it was – It'd be like a shorter run at the beginning of the week. And then we'd have like some midweek long runs, so 10 to 12 miles, um, a workout in there. And then um, I think a day off every couple weeks. So it wasn't, there weren't very many days off.
0: And we should say that there, you are in the middle of the city right now. So if you're listening to this podcast while you're driving, there isn't a police officer behind you. There's one in, in the neighborhood where Alyssa's recording this. So, um, just a heads up to people in case they feel the need to pull over to the side of the road while they're listening to the show. Sorry about that. And it, it's all right. So, all right. So, so a little bit easier, uh, running the beginning of the week, a couple of 10 to 12 milers in the middle of the week. And then what would the weekend look like?
1: yeah so the weekend would always just be a long run pretty much eighteen to twenty two so very long long runs
0: so you weren't so you were doing eighty without doubling up, which is you know that's a huge deal I mean they usually when you see people approaching a hundred, I feel like the vast majority of them are doing it you know at least four four doubles per week in order to get there,
1: yeah, yeah, I don't like to run um In the evening, because of my kids, I like to be home in the evening. So if I have a long run or something I need to do during the week, I'll get up at 3 a.m. to do it just to make sure I have everything done um, before the day begins. Oof, the
0: 3 a.m. wake up call. Oh my goodness. So would you, um, I know anyone who's listening to this podcast knows I'm an early morning runner uh, when I'm running, which isn't right now uh, as well. And with that in mind, how do you make the 3 a.m.s work in terms of not only the night before, but making sure that it's not going to be like a debilitating domino effect of, of sleeplessness throughout the week?
1: Yeah, so I go to bed when my kids go to bed. So they go to bed at 8 and I go to bed at 8 if I'm going to get up at 3. Um, I set everything out and then I also have learned how to take naps in my car at lunchtime. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Those could be i am i not going to lie. I've done it for sure. And those can be really nice. It's it can be a little unsettling. Like I've like had these moments of like waking up like in a panic either cuz like I hear a weird noise or I feel like I like slept through an alarm and I've just been in my car all day. Um have you ever had any of those experiences?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I will I'll set my alarm um so I'll go out at like noon and I'll set my alarm for 1. It, and sometimes I'll lay there and I'll think, oh, I'm not going to be able to sleep. I'm not going to be able to fall asleep. And then all of a sudden my alarm will go off and it's like, oh, I guess I did sleep. And then it kind of freaks me out a little bit. But yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah, for sure. It also makes it like it's hard to you have to like really plan the weather out because it's like you don't want to leave your car running necessarily. So it's like it's hard to do in the summer or winter. It's like spring and fall can work pretty well. But like, yeah, it can be it can be a little weather dependent at times too.
1: Yeah, very.
0: All right. So Chicago didn't go great, you know, relatively speaking, as you mentioned, you did run 326, but you weren't kind of where you'd hope to be. Um, and then after Chicago, what were what kind of what were your I guess after that, how did you look at what was working and what wasn't working, or did you just kind of like stay along the path that you were already going?
1: I just stayed on the path I was already going. And I actually, I had overbooked myself for October of last year too. So I ran Chicago and I ran Marine Corps. Um, Yeah. So that was, that was a little rough. I ran pretty much the same time at both of them. So I ran a 326 at Chicago and was miserable. And I went into Marine Corps and was like, I'm just going to have fun. Like, I just need to have some fun with this. And I ran a 327 and enjoyed myself. (laughs) But yeah, it, I went on from there and just kept running a lot. And I I felt tired all the time. I'd see my chiro and we'd have to like adjust my hips and figure things out because my body just wasn't tolerating it very well. And I never really felt good. And I just continued that for Boston.
0: So I guess the obvious question is why, right? I mean, you're, you're a very intelligent person. You're working so hard. You have these big goals. And yet, and maybe you can't, I don't mean why, like, you know, in the moment, what were you thinking? But like now with like the benefit of hindsight, why do you feel like you were pushing yourself so hard in a way that really wasn't giving you some of the results that you were hoping for and working so hard to get?
1: Yeah. So I've taken coaching classes. So when we did those, or when I did those, learned you know role specificity to run faster you have to run faster to run longer you have to run longer and i just kept thinking that maybe i was just doing something wrong or maybe it's because i didn't have the history with running and i just needed to build it up and just maybe eventually it will click
0: okay so it's just more of like this is not like if it will happen but when will it happen type feeling
1: yeah yeah so when when will this finally all come together like it just wasn't clicking and i just kind of hoped that eventually it would
0: all right so then as you mentioned you're going to boston you're running these 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 huge weeks again and then you have this calf injury and then what happened at boston specifically
1: <laughs> it was the day so we went into it thinking that we were going to have the same weather as 2018 and the morning started off like trying to get on the bus it was pouring rain sideways <laughs> I was soaked before I even got on the bus, so that was like okay, well, I can run in the rain, it's gonna be cold and all of that i I'm okay with it, and then you get into the race, and the sun came out, and it got really hot, and by mile eleven, I just was hot and i I got so sunburnt i just i was i think I'm still sunburnt to be honest with you like i just I got so sunburnt, I was overheated and um, it got to made me like mile 13 and I was walking and it just, I was so bummed because it was like, here I am, I'm at Boston and this is my dream. Like I worked so hard to qualify after having that surgery and I'm at Boston and I'm at mile 13 and I am walking and just the crowd support was awesome, but it was making me miserable <laughs> because you know, the crowd, they just wants you, they want you to run. And I just – I, like, couldn't run anymore. I just – I was so defeated. And um, actually at that race, uh, my friend Margaret found me, and she was having a bad race too. So um, we actually finished out the race together. We walked, jogged it to the finish and talked the whole time. She got me to dump water on my head, and and we made it. But it was, it was something.
0: So you had this situation where you were literally going into a dream race – and it basically turns into a nightmare for all intents and purposes. You know, I don't want to be dramatic, but like, you know, you had this, it was a huge deal for you. You put a lot of mel- not only physical time, but mental and emotional energy into it. And it obviously didn't go anywhere near how you'd hoped. So shortly thereafter, what was the review process for you in terms of like deciding not only like what, how to improve, but like. Did you ever consider like maybe maybe I just shouldn't be spending so much time doing this if like if this is going to be the result of like all this time and energy and, you know, it's time away from my family and 3 a.m. wake up calls and being tired and everything that goes into it. And then you have this, you know, this dream turned so wrong right in front of your face. Like, what was your reaction to all of this uh, in the aftermath?
1: Yeah. So had I not gotten into Berlin, I um, would have not run a fall marathon I, I don't even know like what my thoughts would be on marathoning at this point. (laughs) Um, I decided after Boston to just do races and not really run much during the week. Um, so I had signed up for a bunch of different things and I was racing every weekend. And, um, for Berlin, I was going to use what I used for New York, which was run less, run faster. Um, but I ended up, chatting back and forth with Heather McCurdy. And I asked her, you know, you're a coach. Do you coach yourself or do you need someone to coach you? Like, how does that work? Because I know I can coach myself and I know I can kind of put together a plan that'll get me there, but I don't know really where to go from here. So I kind of went back and forth with her for a little while about what to do and how to get through Berlin. Cause I was worried, you know, we'd, go to germany and it just would be another disappointing marathon for me and i didn't want to be <laughs> sad in another country so yeah i took i took a lot of time to think and just try and figure out what i wanted to do i think in may i think i ran 80 miles total the entire month and <laughs> obviously i had been doing that for a week before i just I felt awful and I was really sad about my running and I was just trying to get it back and trying to get, you know, the motivation back to train for Berlin.
0: And when you were having this period of time where you're just not finding the motivation that you hope to have and um, you see Berlin on the calendar and you're just, you're you're nowhere near the training level that you used to be at, what was the paradigm shifting moment that kind of got you back into it and got you excited not only to race which you had been doing but to to, but to train in a way that would not only be enjoyable but would also you know improve you as a runner to get you to those goals that you would set
1: yeah so um my friend sarah had actually signed up to train uh with mccurdy trained and i was watching her workouts and they looked like fun like the stuff she was doing just looked like so much fun so i finally ended up reaching out to James and talking to him a little bit too. And uh, when I talked to him on the phone, <laughs> his comment to me, like after I ran through all the history I just gave you was, when did you not train for a marathon in the past couple of years? And I'm just like, well, I, I've pretty much constantly been <laughs> training for a marathon for the past couple years. And that was just kind of like, oh, well, <laughs> maybe that's been the issue. <laughs> I haven't stopped. So, yeah, so talking to him really helped. And then he um, set me up with Seth Totten, who has been my coach since then.
0: And what was was the – I guess, what were some of the things that you guys would start doing in the beginning? Because, you know, while that James's insight was probably correct, like, well, you've always been training for a marathon, but like you still had another marathon on the calendar. So it wasn't like you were going to necessarily abandon marathoning in even the short term because, you know, like you had, what, roughly four months or so until you had another marathon to do. So what was what what, what did you and Seth start working on that was a, a change from what you had done in the past?
1: everything. So, uh, when I first got my calendar from him, from him, all of my runs were in minutes instead of miles. And that's something I've never done before. It's always been, you know, run six miles, run 10 miles. And this was a lot of easy running, um, for 45 minutes for 35 minutes for 55 minutes or something. And it, you know, if you're, Obsessed with making sure your run is exactly seven miles or eight miles, minute training probably isn't for you because my runs would be 4.76 miles or something like that. So, um, that was one thing he changed. Um, and then just my long runs, um, weren't very long, but in my mind, they weren't long, they were you know 90 minutes, 75 minutes, that sort of thing. Um, and my buildup to Berlin was only 10 weeks. It wasn't your traditional 16 week cycle.
0: Oh, interesting. So was that, was that so you could recover, um, from what you'd done in the past or, um, what was the thing behind just the, the shortened cycle?
1: I think so. I think that's what his goal was with it was to just have a shorter buildup just so we could kind of, um, Get away from what I had been doing before that wasn't working for me.
0: And what was your mental and emotional state during this, I guess foundational period that you were doing with Seth, where you're running a lot less than you had in the past, but you still knew that you had a big marathon coming up? Were you able to? Um, I'm not gonna put words in your mouth. Like, what, what was that like for you uh, in terms of how you were feeling about your running and just feeling in general?
1: Yeah. So I felt a lot better. On the lower mileage weeks. So a lot of them were 40 mile weeks. And I felt like when he gave me a workout, I could do it. And I was hitting paces that I had never hit before in marathon training. You know, I, I was able to do 650 miles for, you know, 1.5 mile repeats, or I was able to run um, threshold miles faster than before. And my legs just felt better. And I was able to also, um, you know, add speed into my long run. Whereas my long runs before were just really long and easy. I'd have long runs where I'd run marathon pace for six miles. And I'd go into it thinking, oh, there's no way I've never been able to do this before. And then I would do it. And it's just like, oh, well, this is cool. (laughs) Like, I like how this feels.
0: So did you feel like at that point that you were, I guess, like how would you compare your mental your mental game at that point say midsummer to like other points in the past 4 years like could you say like all right this is how i felt prior to new york or prior to you set a pr in 2018 like could you look think back and be like this is this is like exactly how i felt during this other period or was it just like a whole new feeling for you in terms of not only like loving running but also feeling like you were accomplishing things that you hadn't done before
1: it was a lot of disbelief. It was a lot of like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I just ran 12 miles at that pace. Like, is my watch right? Uh, and I'd look back at my GPS and I'd look and see, like, did it have me on the trail or was I in the river? Like, is it wrong? <laughs> I was really concerned that, I, like, this newfound speed was, you know, just it was something something was off or whatever but then like when it started happening over and over again on different training runs I realized wow this is really happening and it made me really happy um but I also was a little worried that you know maybe something would go wrong or I'd get injured so I I was super happy about it but I was also a little hesitant to be super happy about it if that makes any sense
0: no, I definitely understand that um, for sure because you have that situation where you don't want to feel like you're getting too overconfident, or you don't want to jinx it either. Yes, <laughs> that's for sure. And I think both those things can happen at the same time, like having having that, that feeling at the same time. Um, so you're basically your mileage had been, for all intents and purposes, cut in half from what you'd done over the past couple of years. And, and you've written about uh, food a couple times um, on Instagram, and I know that you just started a new blog as well. So what was it like for you all of a sudden basically be doing like half the aerobic work that you had in the past. And then also like just being conscious of like, all right, what, what you're eating and different struggles with eating and just trying to kind of marry the two and trying to make it as symbiotic as possible.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, food has been something I've struggled with since I was a teenager. I was diagnosed as being anorexic when I was 14. So, Um, it was something I struggled with until college. And then when I started running, it kind of came back a little bit and it's something I've dealt with for the past few years. Um, so with running less, it definitely was in my mind, but it also was something that I knew, I knew I needed to fuel my body properly to be able to run fast. So, um, my friend is a dietitian, and I talked to her quite a bit about what I needed to do and how I needed to fuel for long runs and all of that. And so it was a struggle, um, but it was also something that I made sure that I didn't let take over so that it didn't hurt my training.
0: And so it didn't get to the point where you were all of a sudden struggling with it more than you had in the past because you were all of a sudden worried about – you know, you were burning less calories because you were running less and what did that mean for your body and things like that? Like, again, not saying that that would be, um, again, I wouldn't put labels on anybody for thinking like that, but just knowing how anorexia could work in terms of like trying to manage all the inputs and outputs and, and everything associated with that sort of stuff.
1: Yeah, it's very easy to fall in that rabbit hole. It's so easy to fall in that rabbit hole. And um, so I actually, so I strength train as well. So in my mind, like I I need, I need fuel to get stronger. I need fuel to get faster and I'm going to eat in a way that fuels my training and it doesn't, none of that matters. Um, I don't know how to word this properly. I knew where I was going and then I lost it, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't struggle with that as much. I, I wanted to make sure that I was just fueling my body properly.
0: So let's talk about your ten week cycle, getting ready for Berlin. So you had this di- a very different foundation in terms of how much, how much, how many miles you were doing. So all of a sudden you have this ten week buildup. What was the jump in terms of mileage, and what was it like in terms of you know just the, the paces you were running compared to what you'd done in the past?
1: Yeah. So my highest mileage week was sixty, um, and I actually didn't even realize it was going to be sixty until it was over because with minutes it's hard to figure out. Um, and it was a lot more work at marathon pace than I'd ever done before. So I'd have um either Tuesday or Wednesday, I'd do a speed workout and it'd be, you know, a longer interval at marathon pace and then maybe a shorter interval at threshold pace. So um those six fifties for marathon pace and then um like six twenty six or faster for a threshold. Um and then on the weekend um we had a workout that was built into the long run. Um, there was one that I was particularly scared of when he wrote it on my schedule. It was um, six miles at a moderate pace and then six miles at marathon pace. And it was a very specific workout. And it cracked me up because he told me when I could go to the bathroom. That was how specific it was. <laughs> so it was like six miles moderate, change shoes, go to the bathroom quickly, six miles at marathon pace. And, um, that one, yeah, I was very worried about that one, but it went really well. And that was kind of when my confidence started building, um, for Berlin quite a bit, because I was able to make it through that without issue. And then like the subsequent weekends, I think I had, I think I had a two hour run, um, that was like an hour easy. And then, uh, Twenty minutes moderate twenty minutes marathon pace, ten minutes half marathon pace, and then I think ten minutes cool down and I was really worried going into it, was worried I wouldn't be able to do it, and then I did it, and it was like well that that's really cool, and that was my longest run was that two hour run um it ended up being sixteen point seven miles uh so it just it just was a lot of work at practicing that pace and it felt good, which was really helpful (laughs) mentally for me.
0: Now, were you worried about with 16.7 miles being your longest run and that like, not even like going within the normal range of long runs for you that you described earlier of 18 to 22, were you worried at all about being able to last at Berlin?
1: Yes. Yeah, I was. And I had, I mentioned it to, um, my chiropractor who actually is like a former runner himself, he used to um, run marathons. He was an Olympic trials qualifier. Like he's a really cool dude, but I, I mentioned it to him and he's like, but you've run six marathons before. He's like, you, you have that in you, you know, I think you'll be fine. So that, that made me feel a little bit better. I still was a little worried, especially, you know, during the race, I got to mile 16 and I'm just like, well, I guess we'll see what happens from here.
0: (laughs) And I think that's a great point. It's one that comes up a lot on this show is that there's a big difference between someone who's done a lot of marathons in the past and someone who hasn't in terms of saying, okay, what am I prepared to do by looking at my recent training? It's like, I think looking at paces is one thing, but looking at just like, can I run for three hours? is like a totally different thing and it's something that extends far past your typical marathon training cycle. Mhm. Yeah. So let's talk about race day because you killed it. You crushed <laughs> it. And, um so let's just like let's just get it out of the way first. What what was the time you ended up running?
1: Uh, 3:05:20. 3:05:20. All right.
0: Let's talk about the conversation you had with Seth prior to the race in terms of what he Thought you were capable of doing, and what your goal of the race was.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I had talked to Seth on the phone the Friday before the race, and you know he kind of asked me, you know, what what I was thinking. And in my head, I'm thinking I, I just want to run faster than 318, and I don't want to blow up like I did at Boston. Like <laughs> those were my two main goals. Like I, I knew I wanted a sub three eventually, but in my head, like, I just needed to break that 318 barrier because it just was such a huge, huge hurdle that I had not even hit the past three marathons I'd done. And, you know, he said, you know, you've done a lot of your training runs around three and to just go out around seven and see how it feels. Don't go out too fast. Um, don't run with a pace group (laughs) and, um, just see how it goes and to try and run. he wanted me to run even splits, which i I didn't end up doing, but th- that's that's fine. I'm happy with how it went, regardless. So, yeah, so that was that was how that conversation went. And he was just very confident in me. and it was really funny because I was on the phone with him and my husband was sitting there next to me and um, you know, Seth said oh, I think you're ready to run around three. I, I think. I think that'll be good. And my husband was like, see, I told you (laughs) (laughs) because I had been, you know, questioning it and running through it in my head and um, all of that. And, you know, hearing it from Seth really, really helped solidify it.
0: So with that being said, though, While you were training for the marathon, you would run, as you put it, like these marathon pace workouts, and you would see what the pace was. You'd see, all right, it's a 650-ish pace, and that correlates roughly to a seven-minute marathon, a uh, seven-hour, seven-hour, a (laughs) three-hour marathon. So when you were doing those workouts and you saw like the words marathon pace next to those pace times and then doing it what was your internal monologue of like what were you what were you calling those paces if ultimately come marathon weekend you still hadn't really embraced the idea of running those paces on race day
1: for some reason in my head 650 felt like i was some sort of imposter or something like i i i qualified for boston but i you know, 650 for marathon pace. That just seems, that seems so fast. And I knew I could do it. I don't, my mind is a weird place. Um, so yeah, 650 was considered marathon pace and I knew I could run it, but I was also worried that I wouldn't be able to run that. If that makes any sense at all.
0: So is this kind of like a, like rooted in like a fear of failure type response?
1: Yeah, I think so. I I think I was just afraid that you know, it it wasn't going to feel as good on race day.
0: Yeah, because you have these you must, you know, I think anyone who's had races that have gone terribly, you have these memories of those races and they they're at least for me, and I don't want to speak for you. I'd love to hear your 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 thoughts on this. They stick in my head, far more than the good races. Like, I can't even tell you how I was feeling during good races. I can't even remember half of my races that went fairly well. But I remember all the races with crystal clarity that didn't go well. Not only what I was feeling physically, but mentally and emotionally and specifically at various times in those races. And it's hard to, to wipe the slate clean when you, when you toe the line again sometimes.
1: Yeah. And that's why like in the days after Berlin, I was kind of like, I just can't, I can't believe it. I can't, I can't believe that happened. I I just was very just overwhelmed by all of it because the race itself was very much a blur. And after having those bad experiences and walking half of Boston, like I just, it's, I still can't believe it to be honest with you.
0: And as a running coach and as someone who's done this a while, like as, as James mentioned, you've basically have been training for a marathon every day for the last four years or so. Um, what are some of the things that you learned from your experiences in 2019 that you want to continue to use moving forward?
1: Yeah, I think my biggest thing was trying to find fuel that worked for me. So I at Boston, I don't even know. I think I had, I had some cliff shots or something and I ended up like tossing them aside because I was so angry with how my race was going. And I just, I don't know, my my fueling, my fueling strategy was just complete crap. And so for Berlin, I really, really wanted to figure that out. And I I had a training run where I tried something and instantly made me sick. And I'm like, okay, well that's not going to work. So, um, you know, I worked with my friend who's a dietitian, and you know we figured out that taking in fuel a little bit at a time didn't mess my stomach up. So that was what I worked on on all my training runs. And that was something I hadn't done before too, was I never really fueled my training runs very well. Um, so I never felt good on them because I was never fueled properly. So I was able to hit proper paces because I fueled myself every 30 minutes and I ate breakfast beforehand instead of like just going out on a run on hopes and dreams and thinking that maybe it might go well even though I hadn't eaten a proper breakfast.
0: And how about from a training perspective? Like obviously your buildup to Berlin was very different um than your than your buildups in the past, but are there certain elements to that which you're gonna incorporate maybe in like in down periods versus what you what your training will look like uh, as you really ramp it up to get it going for a race?
1: Well, I think I've always been someone who thought that I just needed to do do more and more and more, and I think I really need to find comfort in doing less because that's going to lead to better things for me, like my body isn't going to tolerate doing more. Sometimes more isn't more (laughs) or more isn't better. I guess more is just more.
0: Right. Yeah. Especially if it feels like you're not, um, improving or it's just not, it basically, it's not, it's not serving your goals, right? If your goal is to be like, Hey, I just want to run more miles. Well, Hey, then Hey, more is better. Right. I guess it's dependent on whether it's connecting to the things that you want to accomplish or get out of your running.
1: Yeah. Well, and things aren't just going to, Magically start working if they haven't been working for the past year <laughs> I think um I think I just really hoped that you know it would all click without changing anything, and sometimes changing things up is just exactly what you need,
0: all right, so. What does the future look like for you? Are you going to be signing up for another marathon? Are you going to keep the marathon training going? Or what does what is, what is 2020 and the end of 2019 look like?
1: Yeah, I want to run a good half marathon. I haven't run a good half marathon in like three years, or at least not good for me. Um, and I don't know about 2020. Um, I found out this morning I didn't get into London and that was a lottery. So that was like a slim chance anyways. I um, So I'm not sure what I'm going to do in the spring. Um, I do think, though, that since my time at Berlin qualified me for New York, that I want to run New York again next fall.
0: Got it. All right. Alyssa, thank you so much for coming on this show and recapping. You know this this crazy year that you had in your running story because I think it's something that a lot of people can relate to um, in terms of like all right like I wanted you know you obviously showed a lot of toughness you've you've worked so hard over the last four years and it was just an interesting look at you know how it is shifting shifting little things can make a big difference. And it wasn't for you. It seemed like success wasn't just a matter of like, all right, I need more grit or, oh, I need to work harder or anything like that. It was just a, a shift in perspective that I think can be really useful. I mean, would you, would you see people who aren't reaching their goals, but it's not because of a lack of work ethic, what would, what would be some advice that you would give them?
1: Yeah. So, well, for me, it was, you know, taking a step back and doing less, So I think my advice would be just to kind of look at the overall picture, what all you're doing and see what you can change and see if maybe doing less would, would work for you.
0: All right, Alyssa, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was great chatting with you.
0: Thank you, Alyssa, again for coming on the show. This was so much fun. Also big ups to Megaton Coffee and TuneUp CBD as always. For sponsoring the Rambling Runner podcast. Runners like Alyssa are so special. And, you know, this is the reason I do the podcast to begin with. So I'm so excited to have her on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of In Post Media. Thank you to MetaP for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Yeah. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest of states these days. This representation of storm brewing, I'm amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry.